Hi, welcome to Book Mormon Central. Hello. Hi, with your hosts, uh, John Cho and Lynn Wilson. And this week we are covering First uh, and Second Samuel, week 25. So let me start with the three key questions here, and then we'll Terrific. dive right into the text. So um, first is, how does this bring me closer to Christ? How does the Book of Mormon help me understand the Old Testament? And how does this help me live a more Christ-like life? I am hoping that you'll just interrupt any time you think of any of those, because there are lots of types of Christ, as we see in, in especially David, but also Samuel and Saul, and even the whole idea of prophets, priests, and kings. They all point to the Messiah, don't they? And these Israelite leaders um, are a good example of how they do, they fall short, you know, right. and um, they are not our great God. And this is gives us a nice contrast to see who we worship, that we worship the great Jehovah, who is our prophet, priest, and king, who doesn't make all these mistakes. As far as people who are the main characters, we are so grateful to still have our prophet Samuel. Yep. The book of Samuel started with him as a child or even right. before his conception as a promised um his wonderful mother, Hannah, being heard of God and names his child after that. And then Saul is the next main character and, and his son, Jonathan, and then David. But we see, you know, the book seems to show the rise of a potential great leader. And then because of their choices, the, their failure. And it's really tragic to see how someone with so much potential can fall so far in the cases of all three of the kings. But the, also the other side of it is is uh, Samuel too. I'm, I'm more impressed with Samuel as I contrast them, right? Yes. Also his sons. I will get into that in a little bit, uh, the contrast there. Um, but then also these kings that are all start out amazing, absolutely amazing, right? Yes. And then all have these flaws that lead them away from the Lord. And well, Samuel's and I almost so feel consistent. like they have probably a lot more temptations and a lot more adversarial um, pulls against them. And yet we believe that there is opposition in all things. They probably had greater opportunities to have the spirit of the Lord as well. And yet they, they do not do that. They are not following the prophet. And it, to me, it's, it's amazing how it's written here um, in fact, I, I like the parallel fashion that the book of Samuel does in the life of King Saul. Um, we have starting in chapter eight, when he's introduced this introduction and the prophet Samuel receives Saul and then the prophets receive Saul and he prophesies with the prophets and then the people receive Saul and then the Lord receives Saul. And then you see the exact same parallels in his demise. Samuel says, you blew it. And he doesn't repent. He keeps following um, what he wants to do. He doesn't completely trust in the Lord. His faith in in God just wavers. And then, of course, the prophets or the priests reject him and um, on and on until the Lord rejects him. I think that's it. I mean, obviously, this is an establishment of a theme um, or reestablishment of the same theme. But there's something about... I've I've been willing to give more grace for that first mistake, if that makes sense. Well, of course, on both of both uh, yeah, of the, absolutely, it's the reaction that I think is really the the condemnation, 
because right. they are not humble and meek. They do yeah. not repent at yeah. the same level. Yeah. And, and I see plenty of in times the Lord's like, you know, the Lord's like, okay, you've made a mistake and he gives you a path back and they just don't take it. Yeah. Saul right. doesn't. Saul yeah. doesn't. Yeah. yeah. I think David tries, but too late. Um, I guess we should probably start with just a reminder of the timeline, though, before we jump into the text. Yes. Yeah. So um, since the time of the Exodus, we're told there's about um, 450 years in of the judges, of the reign of the judges. Right. And the judges are just coming to the close here in the middle of Samuel's first book in chapter eight with the introduction of the first king of Saul. And so it's about 450 years since Joshua and Joshua died, um, you know, he lived 110 and um, right after the Exodus. And another text says it's 480 years since the Exodus before the temple's built. So we've got some continuity between these numbers. And um, we know that David is about 1000 BC. So I assume Samuel and Saul, give or take a few decades, are about 1050 BCE. Um just to put things in context. So we've got our main characters, our timeline. Anything else before we jump into the text? I think this is a good spot to to, to kick off. Okay. I, you mentioned the contrast with our wonderful prophet Samuel. Yeah. Isn't it beautiful how we see um, his calling as this young child when the Lord calls him and he responds, here am I. That is really the theme of his whole life. He's constantly hearing the voice of the Lord and saying, what can I do? How can I help? What should I do for you? He's a perfect example of a real servant of the Lord. His example of revelation, his attitude is always, how can I better serve you, God? And we don't see that in Saul, um, even though he was the Lord's choice. Um, well, let's start with the good things in Saul. Okay. I think this okay. sets it up. This sets yeah, it up really, chapter eight really begins. Way. Yes, it does. They have him showing a lot of good things in Saul. Um, first of all, he's very tall. <laughs> it says he's a head and shoulders taller than anybody else. He's hardworking. He's humble. He's helping out his dad. His dad's lost some of his donkeys. He's going out right. hard um, to try to find him. And um, amazingly, I think it's pretty ironic that he happens to be from Benjamin. Because do you remember back in the book of Judges, the book, the tribe of Benjamin did some stupid things right. and everybody gets mad at him and tries to kill him. Right. And they almost wipe out the whole tribe. And um, so Benjamin is one of the smaller tribes. It's got this small little piece of land, a property just north of what will be called Jerusalem. Um, so they're right in the center of the country. But... Um, the Lord often chooses people that are not expected. And here we have a, a, a man from the tribe of Benjamin who's just a good son helping his dad with the farm. And um, Well, let's, let's – uh, I want to rewind just a half step here yeah. about why, were, why, why is he, Samuel even looking for a king? Oh, oh, of course. Chapter 8. Let's go back there. Thank you. All right. So um, it's because Samuel's sons – are disobedient. And the people assume that his sons would become judge after him, even though that's not the way it worked. I mean, Samson's sons didn't follow him and uh, you just go well, through the Samuel list. Samuel himself, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Samuel yeah. certainly wasn't following anybody else. Um, but for some reason, what they say is we want to be like the other nations. This is 
1 Samuel chapter 8. We want to be like the other nations. And he's saying, you've got to be kidding. You have God as your king. God will fight your battles. Why use a mortal king to fight your battles when you've got God? Why rely on a mortal king to make sure that you have food when you've got God to control the reins? You, you know, he's right. saying, what are you thinking when you have the king of kings? Um, but it is a good reminder that um, even a, even a prophet's sons can go wayward. Um, you know, we saw the high priest's sons, Eli, going wayward when Samuel, I just feel like this was probably one of Samuel's Abrahamic sacrifices, that he saw the bad example of Eli not correcting his sons. And now his sons are doing the exact that... same thing. And he tried to raise them in righteousness, and yet they are also accepting bribes as judges. And they are also, well, it doesn't, I shouldn't have said the exact same thing. They may not be offering sacrifices um, wrong. I don't I don't know. But they're still receiving bribes, which is just what is mentioned about That's Eli's an interesting son. connection I hadn't made before of like, you know, Samuel seeing this happen to his mentor oh, and then it happens to, to him. To himself. And it's and that, such a tragedy. Tragic, I really yeah. appreciate our prophet's uh, encouragement that we all have agency and a parent who does their very best does not need to feel guilty for the choices that their children make. But it is heart-wrenching to see this. And that's why the people are asking for a king. Makes um, sense. But I really feel like it's because they don't want to be different. They want to fit into the nations. And yet, isn't that the whole reason why they're there? For 450 years, they've been trying to get rid of the other nations so that they can establish a theocracy. They can have God right. as their king. And yet they're saying, we've been here 450 years. We want to look like our neighbors. We don't want to get rid of the neighbors anymore. We want to be more like them. And I... Working in um, the institute department and in the with the youth uh, most of my adult life, I just see so many people telling me, I want to look more like everybody else. I want to blend in. I don't want to stick out. I'm not going to put a sign. I don't want to stand for this point of righteousness because I, I want to blend in. And um, there's something to be said about... Um, getting along and working out and being peacemakers in our communities. But there's also something to be said that when the prophet speaks, we need to follow. And and standing out and being different is one of the things that the Lord has asked us to do in all dispensations. Otherwise, we wouldn't be the salt of the earth. We wouldn't be the light on a hill. And he wants us to look different, to act different. And he's asking the people to have him as their king. And poor Samuel just feels... He takes it personally, I think. Is I think that so. He verse spends half six? the chapter explaining yeah. why this is a bad idea. Right? Uh, it, verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel. Um, and the Lord said unto Samuel in verse 7, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me. This just really, um, he continues on, that I should not reign over them. When I don't want to follow my prophet with exactness, whether it's a living prophet or one that is passed on now, am I rejecting God? Because so many times we'll say, oh, well, this was just the way he did things, or this was just a, a mortal. But that's maybe not for me to judge. Maybe I mean, we, we need to rely on the Spirit as our judge and allow God's Spirit to decide um, because God says, if you're rejecting my prophet, you are rejecting me. 
And if we say we don't like what the prophet's doing now, is, is are we saying that? Yeah, and the, the Lord's response here obviously reminds me of what happened with Joseph, you know, um, in the 116 pages here. No, but I'm going to let you do it. And okay. I have other ways yeah. of fixing I, this, right? Yeah, this is going to, you're going to teach you by your own experience to distinguish right. good from evil. Right, and and so I see this, and I love that moment, like you, like you pointed out, like Samuel's crushed because he knows the blessings that can come from following the Lord, and he sees the people walking away from it. It's like, this is just a bad idea. <laughs> oh, and then but, he goes uh, on and he gives them all these reasons why they shouldn't have a king. Right. He's going to take your taxes. He's going to take your men and your daughters and sons. And right. I mean, all of chapter eight is just you this. You really want this. You yeah. guys are crazy. <laughs> right. And, and Nephi warns the same thing, right? And of course, the same thing happens. Oh, uh, Mosiah. We, yeah. Yeah. We want a yeah. king. You know, it's not until Mosiah fixes that later. Um, but you see these parallels. Uh, again, this is a human nature problem, it seems. Um but the Lord still, I see mercy in the Lord here. It's like, I'm going to let them do this. You know, your prophecy is, of course, going to come true. I'm going to let them do this. But the, the second thing here is, is I'm also thinking about the king itself. Obviously, we have some foresight here, but it's not great for the king either to have this, this kind of burden, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Should one man be held responsible for the sins of his people. And that's why King Benjamin teaches us so well, doesn't he? I've yeah. got to, yeah. I want to remove your sins from me this day by teaching you um, and having you be responsible for yourselves rather than me having to be responsible. But you know, that is, I'm glad you pointed that out because any human that lives to be either a parent or a teacher or a leader of in any sphere in their life has the responsibility to lead in the footsteps of our Savior. Um, I, I really think you've hit something there that struck a chord with me. Um, we all can choose to follow our Lord's example in any leadership position we're given, whether that's in the home or abroad. Well, uh, let's see more about how Saul does. Uh, okay, with this so in, there in the, is the our introduction here. of chapter yeah. eight, and then chapter nine is where this son of Kish, this Benjaminite, um, who's a goodly man or an honorable, um, full of integrity. I, I love some of the other translations. I, I, I read them often. Um, I'm looking at verse two. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. Yeah. Yeah. Honorable yeah. is another translation. One says handsome and valiant. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's, there's different ways to talk about him, but, um, Obviously, the Large Lord. Stature yeah, oh, obviously, very, very tall. Yeah, <laughs> head and shoulders above everybody else um, is what it says later on. But um, you know, as he's looking for um, his his dad's donkeys, he keeps going further and further away. He spends days on this thing, and um, I really admire this aspect of him when I see that his his servant says, "Hey, there's a um, there's a seer or a prophet." here close by, shouldn't we go and ask him? And I really appreciate the fact that Saul not only listens to his his servant, but he says, you've spoken wisely. Let's let's go do it. Yeah. Let's go great. He's willing to hear the seer and he's willing to hear his his servant. So I see him in a in a humble man here, um, this man of God. And um, unfortunately, the Lord had already told the prophet Samuel that he's coming about the same time the next day. And so he is ready and he 
acknowledges him and the Lord gives him this revelation that this is to be the people's king. And if God is going to choose him, which is exactly what Deuteronomy 17 says, if you're going to have a king, you better let the Lord choose him. And this is the one that the Lord chose. But then I have to ask you, John, if the Lord chose him, how come he turns out to be such a pill? <laughs> well, he's a he snake. starts out so well, right? Yeah. You know, he's humble. He's seeking the Lord's counsel. But uh, just what you said before, too much power is not good for a person. I, I think, well, with some conditions. And, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. we'll get into that later. Uh but I, the thought that came to me when I was studying this was the Lord gives people the opportunity, right? Choose and to be chosen. Choose to be chosen. Yeah, many so, are called, but few are chosen. That's exactly right. We can go back to Samson, right? You know, obviously looking forward to David. Um, but we have so many people. And we have we have the opposite, true, right? You know, the sons of Mosiah, et cetera, where the opposite happened. They don't want to be king. Yeah, they want to just yeah, influence yeah, people through and, missionary work. Yeah, yeah, and so and they started off terribly, right? And ended up, you know, and the difference in amazing is places. The relationship with the Lord. That is absolutely it. That is that is I I think that's exactly right because and, and the humility to be wrong. I would say you know Saul hasn't been really truly tested. He's he's developed this at this well, point. Well, I do great see character. a little bit of lack of faith in the fact that you know he's got these two coronations yeah. um, in chapter ten. He's hiding at the coronation. He knows he's supposed to be king. He's already been anointed a couple of chapters earlier. And yet I think he's sort of rejecting God's approval because we have to put our fear aside and trust. You know, it's very different than David and Goliath here, isn't it? It is. Um, That's the exact contrast I was going to bring. Yeah. Yeah. You just see this, that he's rejecting God's approval. He's, he's hiding. It says in verse 22, among the stuff. And, um, the people go find him. And that's when in verse 24, they say, God save the king, which becomes the mantra of much of um, European monarchies from this point yeah. forward. You know, they take it from the Bible right here. But Saul um, may be humble, but instead of developing that, um, he he seems to develop more of his lack of faith in, in God's way. And he, I see his... Uh, um, one of his challenges, one of the things that he succumbs to is jealousy. His He really um, allows his fear of David. And yet he's the one that calls David to come. You know, yeah. he asks David to be his um, yeah, let's armor talk, bearer. Let's talk about how this happens. Because so Saul, he's called, he's anointed twice. Yeah. And no. he begins and he doesn't get many people to follow him. I see Saul at his finest in or one this, of his fine moments. This is the moments. first king, right? This is yeah, the first this is king. our first king of the United yeah. Monarchy. First yeah. um, Samuel 11, verse 13. There shall not be a man put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. They've had their first battle. It's his first king, first battle. Um, he he calls everybody to join. I love this in, in same chapter, chapter 11. Um, just going back a few verses. Verse 7 says, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and Samuel... So shall it be done to this oxen, you know. So he's he's joining forces with the prophet. And his demise comes when he separates and he does not obey the prophet. And so here 
we see that he is not wanting to put anyone to death who who may not have been as courageous or may have had a harder time in battle. He says, forget it. Everything's going to be resolved. The Lord saved our battle. Let's save all the rest of us. And we see him in such a great moment, not only linking arms with the prophet, but saving those members of the tribes of Israel who maybe were not valiant that day. Um, and he moves ahead. And that's when he's anointed king with everybody, not just the small coronation. Um, but it's also when Samuel says, you shouldn't have done this and you're going to see God's sacrifices. No, 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 that's not not yet. yet. We're still in chapter 12. We'll get there in a minute, but I just wanted to point out the storm in chapter 11. It's in the middle of their wheat harvest. And the Lord says Mm, to them, um, you shouldn't have done this. In fact, you're going to see God's anger and he has a terrible thunder and lightning storm and the the harvest is is destroyed and they they fail um they get frightened um but they're failing to obey God and um they reject God they reject his right to rule it's just just tragic and i see this every day in my own life who am i placing over the prophet's voice you know am i repenting every day am i beginning my day um by looking at my phone or by looking at my scriptures? Am I beginning my day on my knees or by rolling over for 10 more minutes of sleep? You know, I, I just say there is much we can do to make sure that we do not allow other voices to rule us. Um, the other thing before we um, leave chapter 11, as we look at this coronation of the king, I think it's interesting to look for our savior here, as you asked us to always look at the scriptures for the savior because these kings um, are going to take people and enslave them, and they reject God, actually. All three of them reject God by the end in some areas of their lives. Um, and yet our Savior is really never honored as a king by his people. In fact, the only crown he gets is right. a crown of thorns. Um, and yet he proved himself to be the most worthy of all kings. You know, it's really quite ironic as we look at Israel's kings, that not only are they rejecting God by choosing Saul, when their God does come, they reject him as well. It won't be until he comes again the second time that he will be accepted as their king. So anyway, I, that that was sort of heart-wrenching as I thought about liking these verses to our Savior. But I guess we can move on. Um, to chapters 13 to 15. So in this two-year period, we've got this big battle, and um, Josephus gives numbers, and Samuel gives numbers. They all seem a little exaggerated, but whatever it is, I'm 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 touched by the timing of it all, because um, Samuel's word, or Samuel tells Saul, I'm going to show up on the seventh day after the evening sacrifice, and you wait for me, and we will take care of it then. But um, Saul is taking it into his own hands, and he says, you know, I'm worried that there's going to be a mutiny here. I'm worried that my troops are leaving. I'm, uh, I, I've got to, I, I, the Lord's time, the Lord just, the prophet doesn't know his own timing. I, I see the situation better. I'm going to move ahead, and I'm going to offer the sacrifice. That's chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. The Samuel comes to him, and he comes right after he's doing it. But what's wrong with Saul offering the sacrifice? That's such an interesting 
question because well, I think it's he's, he's offering usurping sacrifice. His, he's yeah. usurping his authority. I, I'm thinking he clearly does that. He's and, not a descendant of Aaron, of Levi. He right. is a descendant of Benjamin. So, so in in that light, it is such a grave thing. I mean, this is hundreds of years of established. Who has right? the authority? Who has, has the, authority. the priesthood? Yeah. And this is the first king. I'm like, well, I'm a king and I can do what I want. And we're already seeing the warning signs of why a king's a bad idea. This, <laughs> this is one of them, right? Yeah. Um, but that I can see the rationalization happening, right? It's like, well, sacrificing is a good thing. I'm king. I can do what I want. I see some things happening here. I don't quite believe the Lord, right? This links back to what you're saying when he was first called. He's a little scared. He doesn't quite believe that God can take care of everything, to trust in the Lord. And I, I I feel for him because I see that difficult whenever we have life's problems, we feel like we have to solve it rather than, and the Lord does want us to do everything we can to solve it, but not at the sake of usurping our prophet's call. Yeah, look at verse 13 and 14. Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. And then skipping down, now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Um, you know, the miracle is in the timing and the downfall is in the timing. So much of our trusting in God, we have to realize, is, is realizing that he know, we are seeing glass through glass darkly, as Paul says, just tragic, tragic. I think for me, this is where the, the fall of Saul really becomes solidified yeah, for me. Yeah, and this is where, um, in fact, is this the time when it says that he he no longer sees him? Is this where Samuel, um, yeah, it is. Well, it's chapter 15. Um, so it's he's, he's, he does a couple of things wrong. He, he doesn't change. He's not re able to repent, you know. So this is chapter 13. And then over in chapter 15 is when he does the next mistake and he doesn't sacrifice every, he doesn't um, destroy everything that the Lord tells him to. He doesn't obey the Lord with exactness again. Right. He chooses which part. To me, it's this cafeteria religion. I'll choose which parts I want to obey. Modesty, no. Um, going to church, yes. Um, working on the Sabbath, maybe. You know, I just, whatever. You know, it's just, we're choosing what we want, what we don't want. But in in the Joseph Smith translation of the second great folly, chapter 15, verse 20, it says, Saul said unto Samuel, yea, I have not obeyed thy voice, that he acknowledged it, but unfortunately he doesn't have the, the um, tenacity to stay, to repent thoroughly and make those great changes. Um, he goes on and on, blobbing away, and then says, be, and that's when Samuel says to him, behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and hearken than the fat of rams. I hear my mom saying that. <laughs> what you know, did your mom was, say? All, she said to me all the time when I was just a troublemaker, you know, as a kid. and uh, Only as a kid, huh, John? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> but she she would lovingly say that, and it would absolutely work, like, every time. Like, you know, when I wanted to do something my way, yeah. right, which is exactly what this is, right? I want to do, I want to do something you my know, way. You know, I really admire your mom doing that. I tried very hard once they were past 11, 12 years old to just let the Lord teach them. And I just use scripture. Um, you know, 
I, I would like you to do it this way, but why don't you just go see what the Lord has to say about it? Why don't you go read these verses and you get, you can make up your own mind, but just, just read this chapter here and see what the Lord did in a similar situation. And it's much better. Good for your mama. Um, so that is the sad ending there. But before we leave Saul, um, I just want to remind us that David is part of Saul's life. Right. There's you know, an overlap. He's his armor bearer. He's playing the harp for him. And Saul's oldest son, Jonathan, is David's best friend. It's just fascinating to me to see how ironic all these stories are. You know, we get introduced to the next king um, as early as Samuel chapter 13. We're already getting introduced um, because the Lord has already rejected or the prophet has already rejected um, the king, Saul. And our wonderful Jonathan, um, our George Washington lookalike, right. he doesn't need authority. He doesn't right. want to be in the limelight. He is happy to serve and love and give. I just really admire everything about Jonathan. I think he's almost um, in contrast to his father. He has enormous trust in the Lord. And there's some great stories about Jonathan. Um, he says, no, my, my dad was wrong in saying that you should be fasting while you're fighting. You know, I, I, I ate because I needed the nourishment. And then his father says, well, I'm going to have to kill you because you broke the fast. I made a vow. And he said, I wasn't here. I was never part of the fast. And the people are the ones that defend Jonathan, not his father. You know, it's just so ironic. To, whoever the author is does a very good job of contrasting and comparing the people by putting two opposites next to each other. And Jonathan is such a fabulous example of, of a good, good man. But I guess we need to jump into David. David. So we have Saul starting off so well. Yeah. Pride and fear, I think, are the best of them. Yeah. And, and the fear and comes from a lack of faith. Yeah, a lack exactly. of faith. He Pride is at the root of it. Self-centeredness or whatever. He never really quite has, I guess we'll talk about this in just a moment. He never really quite has that moment of stark faith like like a David, right? Well, and we see it in David um, so beautifully in chapter 17 with Goliath, but he's already been anointed before the Goliath story. He's um, So let's start at 16. Yeah. So poor Samuel, the very last verse of chapter 15, Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. And then he goes on at the very end, Samuel mourned for Saul. It's just so sad. And so the Lord says, stop mourning, get up. I've got to get another king for you. 16.1. Can I read that? Yeah, please. Yeah. And the Lord said to Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. And I so admire Samuel for seeking the best for Saul because he didn't want Saul initially. He didn't want a king at all. And then he grew to love him. And then he had to mourn his demise. And now he's going to love David. And he's going to grow to love David in the same way. But again, David is not the normal pick. Um, in the legends of the Jews, David's five foot ten. So we've got an enormous height difference, first of all. And that comes into bear when the Samuel is sent by the Lord to go to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse and to find his sons. You know, and he goes through all the big brothers. Um, why don't, why don't do you want to read verse seven? Uh, you, 16. Uh, chapter 16, verse seven. Yeah. yeah. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature. Because, See right there. Yeah. That's yeah. it. 
uh, because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for a man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I'm so grateful the Lord looks on our heart. I, I, and also, best of all, the Lord can purify our heart. You know, we can call unto him and ask to help thou my unbelief and ask for that cleansing, not only every week prior to the sacrament, but every night as we analyze our day and seek repentance, seek forgiveness. I mean... This was such a moment of faith for Samuel. I mean, I'm just going through through this Especially checklist. Especially after seeing this de- debauchery that Saul has made of the kingdom. Right. Because the, the, the king's responsibility in tandem with the prophet, going all the way back to Moses, is to is one of battle, right? And clearly mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. in the middle of one. Yeah. Um, and the Lord says, pick this guy. I'm like, what? He's a tiny He's, young guy. Yeah. 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 Like, so it made sense for Saul. He was this big, you know, he was a good person. And yet the Lord always puts the people in the right place at the right time. This is such it's a contrast to amazing. Saul, isn't it? Like yeah, Samuel's it is. like, okay, this is the guy. Yeah. And it's also ironic. Not only does the Lord choose someone like Joseph Smith yeah. that you would not expect, right. um, he also, um, Saul chooses David to come and play for yeah. him. This is uh, chapter 16, verse 17 and through 19, you know, find me someone who's going to play well, who can come with and help me. And, and then it says, um, he goes down and gets David out of the sheepfold. So he's this stripling here. And, um, David in verse 21, David becomes Saul's armor bearer. And it says, quote, Saul loved him greatly. Um, I, I keep reminding myself that um, initially everything was in the right place at the right time, but sin and wickedness just cankered like a cancer that grew and grew until it drove him to madness. Um, But our dear um, David has enormous faith, and it sounds like he's a real peacemaker as well as a great musician and a a good shepherd. Um, And so we then end up with our little stripling coming against Goliath. And I looked in the scriptures to find if stripling were mentioned elsewhere. And this is the only place that a stripling is mentioned in the Bible is David, young David, which is interesting that that was the word that Joseph chose, uh, the Lord put in Joseph's mind or in the Urim and Thummim when he was translating uh, the sons of Helaman as stripling warriors. So I think we're supposed to be looking at King David as our th- model here, young, young David, young David. He's not yeah. king yet. I, I see that same thing in this last reading when, when, when that gets pointed out, I have such a more colorful and uh, in-depth vision of what those warriors were, right? Those sons of Helaman. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There, there are Davids. They're filled with faith. Right. Our mothers taught us we can do it. And that's just what we see in the story of Goliath. Um, you know, I don't know if the numbers are correct. Goliath, it says, is about nine foot six. Um, other legends say that he was seven foot. But either way, he was a very, very tall chap. Um, and David is bringing the food up to his brothers. But remember, David has already been anointed by Saul. He's already been serving as an armor bearer. So he's not 12 or 13. You know, he could be 16, 17, 18. I don't know how old he is. But um his faith is just fabulous as he shows up. And I, I love verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And, you know, his brothers give him a bad time. And he says, is there not a cause? 
you know, he sees, he sees the Lord's hand in this. He says, are you kidding? We're going to be able to take these people over with just knocking out one person. And, um, I see the contrast in Saul immediately because Saul's the largest in He in should be the one taking he him should, down. He if he's be. seven foot tall or but six foot 11. But we see the fear again, I think, in Saul, or at least he lack of faith. He doesn't trust the Lord. It's a lack of faith. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and here comes David. Yeah. And here's David. <laughs> yeah. Look at verse 45 when he finally comes up before him. Because remember, he uh, he tries, Saul tries to get him to wear his armor. And he's saying, are you kidding? I'm five foot 10 and you're six foot 11 or whatever you are. You know, it's, it's not going to work. You're at least a head and shoulders taller than I am. Um, but I love his statement in verse 45, you come against me with a sword and a spear and another translation and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And of course we know the outcome. The Lord guided that little stone and, um, David was promised that he could become a son-in-law to the King from this. And he is chosen to work beside Saul. And it, it says in the next few chapters that he's a great warrior and builds up. Um, I just feel like if, if Saul could have gotten rid of his jealousy, his self-centeredness, his pride, they would have made such a great team because initially, you know, the marriage thing is a little complicated. Saul doesn't want to give him his favorite daughter. So he gives him the girl that he thinks is going to cause him misery. Right. And then he says, maybe if I, if he, I put him to battle against the Philistines, maybe the Philistines will kill him. Then I don't have to worry about him. So I won't have to kill David if the Philistines will kill him. And, um, he says, I'll, I'll bring back the foreskins of the Philistines as my dowry for your daughter, Michael. And sure enough, he does it. And he comes back and Michael says, loves him initially. They have a very happy marriage, but it, it, it goes bad, and um, Saul takes her away from David and gives him gives her to somebody else, and it, it just turns out to be tragic uh, with that family relationship, except for our wonderful Jonathan. Um, chapter 18, verse 1, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and it just, the, the drama of this being the heir to the throne just heightens our understanding. This is such an enormous story with so many puzzle pieces to understand how this all fits together. Um, and I know this is where the um, the Come Follow Me ends, but can we just keep going a little bit further in yeah, this wonderful book in, in of Samuel? 31, yeah. yeah, because he continues on with David's... Um, Rise, And I just love the way that David and his mighty men are able to continue doing God's work by clearing out, you know, he, he's, he leaves Saul, he stays away from Saul, Saul's trying to kill him, but he can still do the work of God by clearing the foreigners, or the, not foreigners, they're the foreigners, but clearing the um, uncircumcised out of the land as God commanded Moses and Joshua. He continues that process. And even when he's, in his hiding place down by the Dead Sea in a little oasis called Engedi, you know, they're hiding in the caves when Saul and his men come to, they find out that David and his mighty men are there and Saul comes there and Saul actually has to go to the bathroom. It says he went into a cave to cover his feet. And the practice was is that you took off your outward cloak and you put it on the front of the cave so that people would know you were in there so they wouldn't come in. 
and and it's dark in there. So Saul does not know that the cave is lined with the people who are working with David. And they're all hiding in that same cave. And David goes and cuts a portion of Saul's cloak. And when Saul finishes what he needs to do and he leaves the cave and he goes back down with his army, um, David comes out on top of one of the rocks and waves his, the cut part of the garment. And I, I see a little Moroni lookalike here when he says, I do not want to kill you. I just want to support what God wants. I want to do what's right here. And please stop chasing after me. And can we just do the Lord's work here and prepare this land for the people of God? Um, So I see David is such a great man. And um, the numbers are really significant, I think, too, that he's first um, placed in as king in Hebron for seven years, seven being whole or complete. And then when he conquers the Jebusites and with everyone else, he is then king for 33 years in Jerusalem. Um, Again, David is such a type of Christ and except of course, in his downfall. And then he's the epitome of anything, but our savior, you know, he, he does everything wrong. And um, I, I know that he probably was not, um, reading the words of scripture every day and every night. And he was not saying his prayers when he was asking what he should do about this. It was quite tragic at at his downfall, but he's multiplied wives. He's multiplied power and it gets to his head. The example of Christ that is not as well um, known though, I'd like to share the example when um, after David's sin with Bathsheba, and then the even worse sin of trying to cover it up by killing Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah is one of David's mighty men. I, I um, am so heartstruck by the fact that he's listed Uriah the Hittite as the last of David's mighty men. So he's so tragic. He's killing one of his most loyal. Um, but his two of his sons also have sexual and murder issues right afterward. And the prophet Nathan tells David, you know, you're going to have problems in your family now because you have done this in a family setting. Your kids are going to follow your bad example. And that's exactly what happens. You know, some of his sons have incestuous relationships. Another son comes in and sleeps with the concubines and tries to claim that he's king. That's Absalom. And Absalom is supposedly a real knockout. He's a really handsome fellow. And he has this fabulous hair. Did you read that about cutting his hair? They say it weighs two or three pounds when they cut his hair. So I don't know how much he had. and But anyway, it sounds like he's just a very charismatic leader. But when when he comes in and chases David out, because obviously David's an old man now, he's not as capable, he's not running the kingdom in the way the younger sons think it should be run. So he's chasing him out. And do you see where David goes? It says he left, um, you know, bareheaded, barefoot. He, he runs out of Jerusalem and runs down Mount Moriah, across the Kibron and up to the Mount of Olives. That is exactly where Gethsemane is. And that is where David prays because for that night, after being chased out of his house, um, because his son betrayed him. And we see this type of Judas who has betrayed our Lord, who leaves the city and goes out down Mount of 
Moriah across the Kidron and up the Mount of Olives to spend the night in prayer uh, for all of us who have sinned. Um, really, uh, another, another type of we'll, Christ. We'll talk more about that next week when we get into that yeah. in more detail. Yeah. But Samuel but that is, that ends with this tragic um, time when David is and his family uh, have lost the direction of the Lord in their lives, and it affects them horrifically. Yeah, but we have always the hope of a descendant of David who will be a righteous king, who will take them on to eternal victory as well as mortal victory if we would but follow him. So I've, I've loved uh, listening, you know, to you talk about David and and Samuel and Saul and these contrasts. But I mean, the main takeaway for me is always, no matter how high you are, no matter how much the Lord blesses you, you're never done. You know, you, you, you have, have to endure to, to the end. And the to, way we endure is by following the prophet and staying in tune with the spirit of the Lord. We cannot succumb to the wanting to be like other people. We have got to just want to be like our Savior, Lord and King. Amen. God bless you. Bye-bye.